favorite authors, friends, and guests explore the simpler side of life. Here's your host, Amish fiction author, Tracy Fertikowski. there. Welcome to another episode of Buggy Talk. I'm your host, Tracy Fredikowski. Each week, I'll bring you the story behind the stories along with the storytellers. For this week's episode, we'd have award-winning author Patrick E. Craig on board, who will introduce us to his latest release, The Quilt That Knew. Hello, Patrick. How are you today? I'm great, Tracy. Doing well out here in Idaho. Oh, my goodness. I know you you got up really early today for us, and I really appreciate that. Um, it is not so early here in South Carolina, and my day is just about over. I've been at it for a long time. But I am huh. so excited to talk to you about The Quilt That Knew, um, your latest release. And those of you in the Amish fiction author landscape know that Patrick's been around for a long time, and we love when he puts out something new. Patrick, how about you tell us, how long have you been writing? I had my first story published when I was seven years old in the school newspaper. Oh, my goodness. And it was very interesting because everybody loved the story. And all my relatives, especially a couple that were writers themselves, said, you know, that's a terrific story. You ought to think about being a writer. And so from then on, that was kind of my focus. And so I I was always on the school paper. I was editor of every school paper I was ever on in grade school and junior high and high school. And and then actually I went into a, a music career, but, and I was in that for a long time, but my favorite part of that was songwriting. So I was always writing songs and I had several songs that were published and recorded by different people and, and uh, recorded myself. And so I was always into telling stories. And so probably since I was seven years old. What a blessing to know that that was something you wanted to do so early on. I can't tell you past playing with my Barbie dolls what I wanted to do <laughs> when uh-huh. I was seven years old. So that, <laughs> that's an inspiration. That certainly is an inspiration. So since you've been in the business for so long, and I know when I first started in, um, you and I had a couple conversations, and I really enjoyed your your advice on a lot of things. What would you give a new writer or somebody just starting out? What kind of advice would you give them today? Well, I was thinking about that. And, you know, there's a story about King Solomon. And one day he's sitting in his office and he turns to his scribe and he says, write this down. There's nothing new under the sun. And the scribe looked at him and said, you know, you said that yesterday. <laughs> and and so I would tell a, a, a new writer, look, There's no new story ideas. There's nothing that hasn't been written. There's nothing that hasn't already been put down. But what it hasn't been filtered through is your perspective. You can find a way to express an idea that's filtered through your life and your experiences and no one else's. And that's what you should be thinking about when you sit down to start writing your books is how how can I write about something that somebody else has probably already written about, but how can I see, give it a fresh viewpoint? You know, I, I want to, I sit in my office every day surrounded by books. I read them all the time, and every day I attempt to write something new and original, even though I do know that there's nothing new under the sun. And so 
that's what I, that's the advice I would give right from your, from your own life, your own experiences and, and filter all your stories through that. I think that's perfect advice. And, and you're right. You know, even, even some of the old fairy tales have been told over and over again, but every time I read them from somebody else's perspective, it takes on a whole new light. It looks completely different. So that's yes. great advice. So do you ever get writer's block? Well, I don't get it too much. You know, we were talking about how many story ideas I've got on my computer. And so I'm always thinking in my mind about a story. And if, if one of the stories gets a little stale on me, then I can always jump to another. But if I, if I do get stuck in a story, one of the best ways to get going again is just start do, doing some research about that story. Like for instance, I'm writing a Western with Murray Pura right now. And it's set in Texas, so I can go and I can start doing research about the area, uh, what was going on in those years, what was happening in that part of Texas, and that will always get my my mind stirred up so that I can actually get back on, on the story again. So I would say just uh, do a little research, and that'll get you going again. I often, you know, if I'm having a real writer's block or coming up with a new story ideas, sometimes if I just go home to northwestern Pennsylvania and ride through some of the that um, Amish country that I grew up in, something will spur some creativity. So actually visual things help me with my writer's block. So, Patrick, in your opinion, what do you think some essential elements of good writing is? Characters, characters, characters. Characters, you, ha- characters. you have to have believable, relatable characters. People that will get in, into your readers' hearts and minds so that they, they become real. So you see them walk over there. Oh, there's Jenny walk. Oh, that's not Jenny. You know, but, uh, that, that's to me is the heart of a story is the character. But then, the plot, of course, is very important. You got to tell good stories. You have to write a good story, uh, write the best story you can and write it as straight as you can, but make your characters real. Help your characters become real. And I think that's, that's the key. And then, of course, for me, I'm not a pantser. I'm a, I'm a kind of guy that I have to have it all laid out. And so when I sit down to do a book, I will do a timeline, I'll do a chapter outline, and each chapter I'll kind of set up what's going to happen in that chapter, and I can always move those around. But I always have, as I'm writing the story, I always have that outline, that overview in my face so that I know exactly where I'm going with the story. You know, the story itself is coming through from the Lord, I'm sure, you know, he's the one who, who gives us all inspiration, all, all wisdom comes from above, everything that's good, all truth. But, um, you have to organize it. That's, that's our job as a writer is to organize that information so that it's relatable to, to people. I want people to, to finish reading a scene in my book and put the book down and go, you know what? I know exactly what he's talking about because I have been there. Exactly. You know, I I tell everybody that I write real, raw, and relatable Amish fiction. You know, you're not going to get the white picket fence happily ever after. You know, there's always a happy ending in my books. But during the plot, during the outline, during the 
the Ark and everything else, these people or these characters have to experience life the way the reader does. If they don't, then it's just a fairy tale. Yeah, I mean, I I like Happily Ever After, but I think sometimes uh, stories don't end happily. And those are real stories. People just need to be able to read a book and go, you know, it's like it's like the story of a, a tale of two cities. Here's a guy who who gives himself so that his beloved will be happy. Sidney Carton uh, goes to the guillotine in place of his beloved's husband, and that's not a happy ending. But in but the redemptive theme that's put forward there, and the resurrection life theme that's put forward in that book. That's what people need to lay a hold of. Even though Sidney dies, you know, in the end, there's this wonderful redemptive theme, you know. And the amazing thing, uh, when they made that that book into a movie with Ronald Coleman, there's one scene where he's sharing with his friend, this is, I'm going to France, I'm going to get Charles Darnay out of the of the prison, I'm going to take his place, and I'm going to go to the guillotine. And as he's telling his friend that he's going to do that, the camera pans around, and on the mantelpiece is a needlework, and the needlework is John... Uh, from John 11, and it says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so those themes, even if your book doesn't have a happy ending, it should have a redemptive ending. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That is that is great wisdom you're sharing with us, Patrick. Thank you so much. How about you tell our listeners what a typical day of writing looks like to you? Well, I usually try to get up around six o'clock and I turn, first thing I do is stumble into the kitchen, turn the coffee pot on because I've got it ready the night before. And, uh, now it's winter in Idaho, so I'll go, I'll build a fire in the wood burning stove. Um, I will do a little time with the word. I'm doing a great study on Revelation right now. I'm doing a study on that and I'll do that for about half an hour. And then I'll go in and go to work. Now, do you still, I think at one point you were still helping your son a little bit. Are you still working outside your office? I, I, I do all of my work in my office. I do everything online. But And he's now in Idaho instead of California, so I'm able to be a little closer. But, no, I, I work in my office. And so I work a couple of days a week for him doing Oh, computer stuff and IT stuff and and web design and that kind of thing. Promotion. Oh, bet you're a great asset to him. I can imagine. All right, Patrick. Thank you so much for giving us a little insight to what your writing career is all about. And now we get to talk about the quilt that knew. But before we do that, let me set the stage and I'll read your back matter and then we can really dig into your story. Okay. Okay. All right. This is Patrick E. Craig, The Quilt That Knew, a young girl buried in the woods for 40 years, a desperate killer loose in the village, a mysterious quilt in a golden ring. Jenny Hershberger returns to Apple Creek, Ohio, the village where she grew up. But this is not a happy homecoming. She's been called upon to solve a horrible crime. But will the killer find her first? Oh, I love that description. How intriguing. How intriguing. So tell us a little, uh, Patrick, what was the inspiration for the quilt that knew? 
Well, Jenny Hershberger is a character that's been in all six of my Amish books. Uh, in my first book, she was a little girl that was, uh, lost in a, in a horrible blizzard and, uh, an Amish girl who's the quilt maker, uh, found her in the storm and saved her. And, and then they, she was, nobody knew where she came from. So they adopted her and she became Jenny Springer. So she grew up, and then in the second book, she goes on a search for her past. And then in the third book, she loses her husband, and then she discovers that she's a historian writer. She's always loved to do that. So she starts writing books, and she also writes a column for the local paper called Ask Jenny. And in that column, people start sending her situations. You know, there was... This box that was discovered in the woods with a dead girl in it, what do you think about that? And, and so, so I thought, well, you know, why don't I take her now that she's, she's older? She's about 62. Why don't I make Jenny into the Amish Miss Marple? So she starts a whole new season of her life. Uh, she has a friend that, that, uh, lives up the hill that was, uh, her dad's best friend in, in World War II. Uh, Jenny's father was an Amish man that, that left the church and, and joined the Marines and ended up winning the Congressional Medal of Honor on Guadalcanal. And then the whole thing about killing people in hand-to-hand combat freaked him out so much that he came back to the church and became a, a stone legalist. And, but in, through the story, he, he discovers that it's not the law that saves. It's only Jesus can save. And so that's been a theme through all these books. But anyway, Jenny gets a call from a detective back in, in Apple Creek, Ohio. She's living in Paradise, Pennsylvania now. And the guy says, you know, we found this this dead girl, and she was wrapped in in an Amish quilt. And since you're a historian and you grew up here, maybe you can tell us about this quilt. So she and her friend Bobby, who's 82 and like her, an uncle type to her, Bobby, Bobby Halverson, he's Englisher, but he's uh, like family with Jenny. And they go back to Apple Creek and they start working on this crime. And he, she discovers that this quilt was made by her mother. And so that leads to the whole story kind of rolling out and I won't tell any much more than that but there's a real twist and it gets into the heart of the Amish community in Apple Creek so I have um, to ask was it her Amish mother or her her Amish her? mother was a master quilt maker master quilt maker just wonderful and this quilt that she made uh, that she, that she wrapped Jenny in it to save her from the storm was a quilt that she was taking to the Dalton Quilt Fair. She was going to leave the Amish church because of s- some things that had happened. And she, that quilt was going to be her ticket out because she was, she knew she was going to win first prize and the prize money. But so in the middle of this storm, she has to make a, a choice. Do I forget about the little girl and take this to the, quilt fair or do I wrap her in the quilt and ruin it but save the little girl and of course she made the right choice mm-hmm. and that's how Jenny came into the Amish community through all the six books and then when I wrote the historical books 
they were all actually, uh, I used the literary device where, where Jenny wrote the stories. And then because she was Amish and her elders were a little skeptical about her publishing the books, Jenny gives the books to me and I publish them under my name. Oh, what a wonderful idea. So tell us what you think. You pretty much answered most of my questions by giving us an insight into the story. But what do you hope the the theme or the message will portray to your readers in this story? I think that what we need to know is that even the most normal seeming people have real issues. Everybody has a story. And most of those stories only God can fix. So if my readers go away with understanding that, I think they'll get what I'm trying to get across in this story. I I would certainly hope that they do. So you know how important the first page or a pivotal scene is to bring your readers into this storyline. Would you mind reading us um, either the first page or a pivotal scene? Yeah, I've got uh, it's just a short scene in the very first chapter, the chapter one, little girl lost, and I'll read it to you. Okay. Barry Winders watched the bird drop out of the sky and into the woods. His brother chuckled. You should have steered him to the left, B. Now you got to go into Jepson woods, Jepson's woods to find him. Barry scowled. He handed his shotgun to his brother and headed for the edge of the trees. Jepson's woods lay in a rural section between Apple Creek and Dalton, Ohio. And the fields surrounding the woods were prime hunting grounds for pheasant. But the woods themselves, near Jepson's Pond, were still wild and choked with underbrush. To find that pheasant in there would take some work. He looked at his dog and swept his arm across the area in front of him. Butch, find dead. Butch was good. He wouldn't stop until he found the bird. The German shorthair ran along the edge of the, the brush excitedly and then caught a scent and bounded into the woods. Barry ran after him, which barked and Barry saw him cutting toward a thick patch of scrub. He followed as quickly as he could, except for the sound of his feet brushing through the wild grass and the dog running ahead of him. The woods were quiet. It was one of those early fall mornings in Ohio, the trees turning red and gold and enough nip in the air to warrant a down vest. The ground was still damp from the morning and the bottoms of his jeans were wet from striding through the tall grass all morning. Up ahead, Butch was puzzling around the scrub, trying to find a way in. Barry ran up and patted the dog. Found him. Hey, Butch, good dog. The bird was in this patch of brush, and Barry looked for a way into it. He walked around to the right and spotted a small opening. Going down on his hands and knees, he crawled through. Butch followed him, whimpering excitedly. The ground sloped upwards into the center of the patch, and it was wet and muddy. As Barry scrambled up the incline, his foot slipped on the muddy ground and slid out from under him. A sharp pain shot through the front of his lower leg. He looked down at his jeans. There was a tear. He pulled his pants leg up. There was a deep gash below the knee that was bleeding pretty good. Shoot, Butch, what did I hit? Looking down, he noticed a square corner of something that looked like wood protruding from the ground. He brushed away the dirt from around the corner. As he cleared away more dirt and leaves, he saw he'd stumbled over the corner of a box, what looked like a big box that was buried in the dirt. Hey, Billy, I found something. Bring the shovel out of the truck. In a few minutes, his brother scrambled through into the center of the brush with the old army trenching shovel they carried in the pickup's bed. Barry pointed. 
It looks like somebody buried a big wooden box here. Give me the shovel. Barry dug in a few minutes. He had uncovered the top of the box. It was big, square, about five feet long, made from wood, nice wood, like maple or mahogany. The lid was smooth and finished and fastened down into the sides with nails. It looks like a chest. Look, the lid has hinges. Well, maybe it's a treasure bee. Open it up. So Barry pushed the point of the shovel in between the lid and the box and pried up. The lid moved a little. He worked his way down the side and got the lid up all the way on that side. Pushing his fingers into the gap, he pulled. It wouldn't give. Billy, pull down there. Billy grabbed at the bottom and together, Billy grabbed the lid at the bottom and together the two boys pulled up. The nails in the lid came out slowly with a harsh screech. They pushed the lid over and looked inside. The first thing Barry saw was a flash of color, some kind of blanket. He reached down and pulled on it. Part of it came away in his hand and he jerked back in shock. A very decomposed human face stared up at him. That had me on the edge of my chair. Patrick, I had on the edge, and I knew what was probably in the box. <laughs> that was wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, our listeners here on the Boogie Talk podcast, that I get so many comments, but the one thing they comment on the most is how they enjoy the author actually reading a part of the book because the author is the only one that can put in the true emotion of what's going on in the story. So thank you for sharing that. So how about you tell us what's next for Patrick Crick? Well, I'm got to get back now. Murray Pura and I uh, have been working on some books. We we finished uh, a World War II series in the spring, and now and then we did a western. And that first western, uh, the part of this what we call the Storm Riders series, it's called The Drive, and that's been doing pretty well. So now we're working on book two in that series called The Honor Trail. And we're also working on kind of a secret project, uh, but I'll let you know about it. It's called V-Force, and it's uh, like a Brad Thor adventure thriller kind of book. And the first uh, book is called The Samson Protocol. And then I'm working on one other book, which is kind of a historical uh, memoir, but it's also a fiction book called Save the Last Dance for Me, and it's about a a guy who goes back to his hometown after 50 years and buys the old dance hall that he and his band used to play in 50 years ago, and he restores it and gets the old band back together. And, of course, there's all the adventures that each one of those guys and gals have been on over the 50 years, and so I'm working on that, too. So that's a couple, three books I got going in in the pot. Uh, that sounds like a busy schedule. And I have to ask, so that one where you get the band back together, is that maybe a long lost dream of yours that you want to get your band back together? I don't know. There, there's a lot of interpersonal dynamics in a band that people don't know about. They all think, it, oh, look at them up on the stage. They're so great. But they <laughs> they know nothing about the fist fights in the rehearsal hall. And... <laughs> oh, really? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I guess I have a – I guess I'm one of those people because I, I guess I would think that if somebody traveled and, and went on tour together and, you know, had a band together that they all got along wonderfully. And um, I guess that's not all that really happens, huh? No, and one of the reasons I came to Christ was that the band lifestyle was killing me. 
Well, thank you for sharing that, Patrick. And you know that I love to do this crazy little speed round where I ask you questions that mean absolutely nothing, but it does give our listeners what Patrick Craig is really about. So are you ready for my little surprise questions? Take it away. All right. Plane or train, what would you rather? Train. How about you share with us one of your favorite Christmas memories? Two trees. <laughs> two trees. Now you'll have to explain I, two trees. I had an aunt who uh, you could count on to be two hours late. You could set your watch. So on Christmas morning, if we said we're opening our presents at 7 o'clock, she would not be there until 9 o'clock. And so you'd have <laughs> these frustrated kids sitting around for two hours waiting to open their presents till Aunt Alice got there. So what my dad finally decided was, look, we'll have two trees. We'll do your, we'll do a tree at, for the kids in the morning at 4.30 whenever they get out of bed. And then we'll come over to dinner at your house and open the rest of the presents there. So after that, every Christmas had two trees. Oh, that was perfect. That's a perfect memory. Question number three, if you could ask your wife to make anything you wanted for dinner, what would it be? Oh, boy, she makes this uh, pork chops with rice and tomatoes. Uh, man, it's good, really good. Mm-hmm. But then uh, she makes this uh, chili that's pretty darn good. <laughs> and, well, there's a whole list of stuff. But, uh and then she makes this mushroom chicken. Mm. Oh, you're making me hungry. Just listen to this. Sounds like <laughs> your sounds like your wife is a really good cook. She's a fabulous cook. Oh, good. Well, Patrick, is there anything you'd like to say to your readers before we sign off? I would say I learned some stuff from Ernest Hemingway, and I would say write the best story you can, write it as straight as you can. And when you write your stories, write stories about things that you know about. Try to do that. And here's the last thing. Never empty the well. When you've been writing for a long time and you know that you're getting to the bottom of the well, close it down, go to bed, and always leave something in the bottom of the well that can get filled up for the next day. Oh, that was wonderful advice. Wonderful advice. Perfect. And and I think I do that because when I'm done writing for the day or when I get tired and I say, okay, I just can't, my creative mind isn't going there anymore. I always leave a few words, my laptop, before I end that picks it up and starts the next morning. So like I might have a, I may have a thought that, you know, I probably could sit there and try to hash out, but I know I'm tired. So I just leave a couple words so that I can pick up where I left off the next day. And um, yeah, yeah, that is. Well, Patrick, I want to thank you for spending time with us this week. And I look forward to hearing more about your future projects here on the Buggy Talk podcast. And to all of you listeners, if you want to pick up a copy of The Quilt That Knew, look for the link in the show notes of this episode that you can find on my website, at tracyzombiesbooks.com, or you can go to buggytalkpodcast.com. There you'll find a complete list of some of your favorite Amish fiction authors and all the great books they add to the Amish landscape, including my latest release, which is Anna's Amish Fears Revealed, which is book three of the Amish Women of Lawrence County.